Yo, what's up, everybody? It's time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-hosts, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers, and guys, tonight is episode 27, titled Jack of All Trades, because tonight we got on Notre Dame star third baseman and pitcher Jack Brannigan. But, guys, before Jack joins us, Jim, I got to ask, dude, Fourth of July, America's birthday. You're out, fireworks, food, and sandlot, dude. How epic was was your Fourth of July holiday, man? Man, I can't think of a better way to do it. You know, I'm gonna tell you one thing: the fireworks that I bought my son, I didn't buy that many, Daniel. But when you got a ten year old, like it doesn't take all that much, and we got them just the right amount without spending way too much money. And then, of course, we cooked the, the kebabs that were good for everybody. And then the whole family loves the sandlot and the new back patio setup on the screen, projector screen. So the whole night went perfect. Couldn't ask for a better 4th of July. And, hey, you know Benny pickled the beast and he got back the ball. That's right, baby. You can't pick a better movie to watch on the 4th of July than the sandlot. And, man, it it's just a classic, dude. You, you couldn't go wrong. So – Shout out to you for picking the right movie, but shout out to us for picking the right guests because tonight we got on Jack Brannigan, star of the Notre Dame baseball team, man. And I, I don't want to waste any time. I want to get right to Jack. So help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview on podcasting this week, our man from Notre Dame, their third baseman and pitcher, Jack Brannigan. All right, Jack, welcome to the show. How are we doing tonight? Doing good. Thanks for having me on. Uh, yes, no doubt. We are excited, man. First guest from the University of Notre Dame. And with that, I want to start with a little icebreaker before we jump into your backstory. You know, looking through the photos uh, that your team has on Instagram, seeing the uniforms, I mean, y'all got some sweet uniforms. You got the you got the green, the blue, the gray, the white. But, you know, I don't know if you've seen those graphics, those memes where it says you got to start one, sit one, and cut one. And so with that, with the green the blue and the gray jerseys. You got to start one, sit one, and cut one. What are we doing? All right, I'm going to start the blue jersey. Those are my favorite. I feel like those are always a good look. I'm going to sit the gray jersey, classic baseball look, and, and I'm going to bench the all greens. It's, oh, you know, the greens. Uh, it's hit or miss. You know, it's hit or miss. A lot of people love them. Some people hate them. It's, uh, you know, the first time you throw them on, you kind of look down and you're like, I really have green pants on right now. Like, all right, here we go. Let's go play some baseball. Now, notice I didn't put the the jersey vest on there because I know that most guys and fans, for that matter, aren't a big fan of them. Are you a fan of those? Oh, yeah, I love the vest. I feel like that's a it's a good look. It's kind of more of a throwback at this point. So when we, when we found out we were getting those, we were all fired up. We were excited. So all the guys love those. Those are great. Nice. So you're, you're opting out out of the traditional green color and going with more of a uh, uh, new modern look. I got to ask the, the blue jersey, what are, what's on the sleeves? I know it's not like, to me, it looks like Moana, but I know that's, that's not like tribal or anything. It's probably something Irish I would imagine or Catholic or like, what, what is it that's on the sleeves? 
So that is a pattern from the Golden Dome on campus. Um, they kind of used that a couple of years ago in a football jersey when they did the Shamrock series. And then they kind of brought it across the rest of the sports and, and they threw it on the sleeves. So kind of a like a small touch that kind of pays tribute to the university. And you know, not a lot of people know about it. That's a that's a sweet little touch, man. I'm glad I asked. But man, let's let's get into this. Let's talk a little bit. Take me back. Obviously, you know, you've, you've had a, a storied career up until this point, but. You know, we, we need to know where you're from and what are the family dynamics like as a kid growing up? Yeah, so I grew up in Orland Park, Illinois. It's about 45 minutes south of the city of Chicago. I uh, grew up with one older brother and two younger brothers. So super competitive household. And uh, it's kind of where I get a lot of my my competitive edge that, you know, you kind of see when, when you watch me play. And feel like that's kind of how I got into sports in the first place was just kind of playing in the backyard and in the basement with my brothers. And, uh, you know, my older brother always played sports. So kind of got put, thrown in there with him. And, um, you know, I was pretty, pretty athletic as a kid. So got moved up two years. He's two years older than me. So kind of got pushed from a young age to um, kind of compete with the older players. And I feel like that's kind of what has helped me uh, throughout my career. It, if someone was to ask you, all right, you know, and I'm going to ask you, so, who is the most athletic of the three of you guys? Who's the most athletic? And I mean, obviously there's ages, but like, let's say, you know, growing up in the house, you're playing up, like, are you exceeding expectations or are you kind of like, yeah, I'm learning a little bit. I'm not quite as good as my older brother, but I'm, I'm somewhere getting close or were you head and shoulders like the guy? I'm not going to say I was the guy. Obviously there's the age gap. Um, but you know, it was always kind of closer than my older brother would like. And, and, you know, I always kind of felt like I was right there, but always ended up on the losing end. So he kind of had me for a while. And then, you know, once it became my time where I could take him, you know, the games kind of just stopped, uh, believe it or not. So kind of just stopped playing once I could beat him, but yeah, I'd say it was all pretty even. Um, there's actually four of us. So, you know, kind of go two and two and, you know, you try to make it fair and, and they were always pretty close and, you know, we were kids. So someone always ended up crying and you know, that's just the way it goes. You're like a, a house full of boys. There, there's somebody's going to cry. Somebody, somebody's feelings are getting hurt. It's, it's four boys. Everyone's playing sports. You know, it, at the end of the day, someone's, someone's going to be upset or someone's going to take it a little too far and someone's going to get hurt. So, um, um, you know, my parents unfortunately had to deal with that, but I feel like it's kind of, uh, shaped us into who we are today. So made Absolutely. it through. Absolutely, man. So, you know, obviously, you know, we talk to a lot of athletes and they have some similar stories about playing up or, you know, not necessarily trying to keep up with an older sibling, but just they had the opportunity to play at a, a higher level than maybe their age, you know, would put them in. And everyone ends up being this elite athlete, you know, obviously with the mix of your brothers, was that the fuel or was the fact that, you know, you had dad and granddad that were athletes at Notre Dame, that there was this pressure to be better than, you know, your brothers or to be better than them or just to be an elite athlete? Yeah, and I think it's kind of the the competition in between brothers who just wanted to, you know, do something better than your older brother did. And, uh, you know, originally when I was playing with, with my older brother, I was always kind of trying to keep up and trying to belong with, you know, kids that were two years older than you. Um, so it kind of started as that. And then as you start to get older, you kind of 
compete to you know be better than your brother was at the same age. Uh, so I feel like that was kind of the motivation that that kind of pushed all four of us to you know kind of be better. Yeah, man. I, I, the way I picture it, I mean, and you can correct me if I'm wrong. It's like I I feel like your house was a everything was a competition, whether it was you know take taking a shower the fastest or eating dinner the fastest or to get out of the out of the house the fastest. You know, whatever the case may be, I feel like every little thing was just you know set up for you guys to try to outdo one another oh yeah it was always a competition it was you know first one in the shower you know first one to finish first one to you know drink all the milk at dinner or whatever it was so like you said it was always a competition and that's that's awesome man so obviously the 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 competition is fueled in the house within the family but like was baseball the only sport or were did you guys play multiple sports growing up so when we were kids we we all played soccer baseball and basketball um and then kind of as we got older we kind of started to play football a little bit um and then i think like seventh and eighth grade ended up playing volleyball and now my youngest brother plays volleyball so he kind of got dragged along to, to quite a few baseball games when he was younger and you know decided he didn't want to play that so he, he got into volleyball and I think all my brothers actually ended up playing volleyball as well. Uh, kind of like sixth, seventh, eighth grade. So do you think, I mean, this is a great question for you because um, you kind of lived it. You played a, a lot of different sports. Do you feel like that bettered you as an athlete preparing you for, you know, obviously you're an elite level athlete in baseball, but did playing multiple sports and having the ability to rest or like, craft your 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 talents and other areas prepare you to be the best in this sport or do you do you think that given the opportunity just playing one sport all the way through would have been been more beneficial I think when you're young I think as a kid it's it's beneficial to play a lot of sports I think that you know a lot of times you're just kind of in the backyard or in the neighborhood with other kids and you know, you want to be pretty good at all the sports. You don't really want to be super good at one and not as good at the other. So I think that as a kid, it's, it's important to play a lot. It, you know, it keeps you busy, gives you something to do. And, um, you know, it's beneficial because when you're a kid, there's no, I mean, there's no kind of straight line of, you know, this is what you're going to do. And then you're going to be good at this sport. You don't really know what sport's going to be, you know, your best sport until you start to get older. So I didn't, I didn't start to focus on baseball strictly until, uh, my freshman year of high school. So I, I really enjoyed playing a lot of sports when I was a kid. And, you know, when it was time to focus on baseball, it was, you know, that was kind of my decision and something that I really wanted to do. Jack, the honest question I got for you is every baseball player said they played basketball at one point. We've had a couple that have been honest, a lot of them that have lied. Were you any good or was it just a rough go? Uh, I'm not, I'm not very good at basketball. I can be <laughs> honest with that. Um, that is definitely not my, my top sport. This is, he he played good defense though. Oh yeah, you got to run around a little bit, kind of be a nuisance. But uh, on the offensive side, it gets rough. Uh, a lot of bricks, unfortunately. Hey, at least you're honest. We get guys on here all the time that say they hooped and they did this this one time, and like then 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 it's like, well, they're still as good as they ever were, if not better, which is just just lies they get on here and lie right to our face man it's crazy yeah you know you, you try to make yourself look tough but you know i can be honest and I'm, I'm not that good at basketball so you know you you mentioned you know getting 
you know, not starting baseball until high school, which is kind of a segue into what Randy's going to talk to you about. But before, you know, he gets into that, you know, obviously playing a lot of different sports, trying a bunch of different things. Like who was your go-to athlete? Like who was your favorite athlete? Was it a baseball player? Was it a basketball player? Like, like who are you looking up to during this time as a kid? You know, as a kid, my favorite athlete was always kind of Devin Hester, um, Chicago Bears kind of at the time when he was returning kicks and punts basically every weekend, it was, you know, always a blast to watch. So, you know, I kind of always kind of gravitated towards him and and then it was always kind of season by season. Uh, you know, when you're playing baseball, you're, you're interested in the baseball. When you're playing football, you're interested in football. And when you're playing basketball, you're interested in basketball. So it kind of uh, ebbed and flowed and kind of just whoever was hot in Chicago at the time, there was, you know, the Derrick Rose era was, was a blast um you know kind of started really liking him and you know the injuries happened and so I feel like that was kind of the story of my childhood was kind of bouncing from sport to sport and and then finally picking one uh, and picking baseball we know a little bit about Derek Rose Jack he actually played college in in Memphis where we're all from oh yeah but he, you know obviously growing up in Chicago but for high school for you tell everybody what high school did you attend so I went to Marist High School um it's on the south side of Chicago. A south sider, eh? No, you don't claim you don't claim yourself as a south sider, do you? What, what side do you fall on here? Uh, I am technically considered a south sider. All my friends would would try to say that I'm south suburbs and they're south side, um, but I am a Sox fan, so I, I would I would fall under the south side there. But I do live in the south suburbs of Chicago. I can admit that. I understand. So Marist High School is there? Who's the most notable alum? of Marist besides Jack Brannigan? <laughs> um, let me think. There's been a, a lot of good college players come out of Marist. Um, there was an old tight end at Notre Dame a couple of years, Nick Wisher. I uh, was probably the most recent guy. Um, so I'm doing some research, Jack, and I looked it up, and you might not even know who this is. I don't know how you listen to rock music, but Dan Donegan, the disturbed guitarist, he went to Marist. Did you even know that? I actually did know that his daughter, I think, was a freshman when I was a senior. And, you know, my parents brought it up because they were a little bit more familiar with Disturbed than I was. But I, yeah. I did. I actually do remember that. I had to look it up. He was class of 86, which made me feel really old. But, <laughs> I mean, but anyways, let's get into the academics here. We, guys, obviously here we appreciate an athlete that's not only good on the field, but also good in academics. I noticed here, Jack, National Honor Society and Spanish Honor Society member. What drove you on academics? Are you guys, you said your brothers were super competitive. Did you also compete on who could make the highest grades, SAT scores, all that stuff too? Uh, that was more my mom. My mom was always kind of, uh, you know, you bring the report card home. You're like, yeah, you know, mom, I got five A's and one B. And she would say, you know, why'd, why'd you get, you get a B? Yep, that was, that was my mom's thing. And, you know, my dad went to Notre Dame. So I kind of, the both of them always kind of pushed it. And like you said, a little bit of competition, but it was never really too much kind of always different with the different grades and stuff. But my parents really pushed us to, to focus academically. And, and that was their big thing. What a, what a mic drop Jack to your brothers. When you go, you know what, not only am I going to be good in one language, I'm going to be good in two. You know, all my brothers were actually pretty good in Spanish. They all, um, we actually hosted some Spanish exchange students. And, and so they all kind of started to pick up Spanish. So, you know, at this point, we're all not very good at it. It's been a couple of years removed, but you know, every once in a while, they like to throw in the Spanish. 
So I see that you're a finance major. That's my kind of thing. The only thing I like about finances is money, though, Jack. Don't give me decimals and all that, unless it's got dollars <laughs> and cents by it. But what kind of drove you to pick finance as your major? Yeah, so kind of as I started picking major, I was kind of thinking business school. Um, that was kind of the most popular one for a lot of people I was talking to. And, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to go into architecture. I've always kind of been interested in that stuff. But at Notre Dame, it's a five-year program. And you have to study abroad for one of the years in Rome. Uh, so that kind of got crossed off the table. And so then it was kind of picking something else from there. And, and I was always pretty good at math. So kind of wound up with finance. I understand. You imagine Randy telling your baseball coach, I'm going to need a season off. I'm going to go yeah. study in Rome. I'm going to be in Rome, guys. Yeah, exactly. That was kind of the thing. They're like, yeah, you can pick any major except architecture because, uh, you know, <laughs> we can't be giving you a whole year off. Like, well, all right. All right. I guess I'll be financed then. Exactly. So, Jack, as we're doing research on kind of, you know, high school baseball in your area, notice that you played against your fellow Irish teammates, Aiden Tyrell and Casey Komet. Is it Met? How do you pronounce that? Komet. Komet. See, I said it right. So, obviously, we see something like that, and we got to think that baseball in your area has got to just be stacked with talent. Is that true? Oh, yeah. There's a lot of great players over here. Kind of um, the Chicago Catholic League and the East Suburban Catholic Conference always kind of have a lot of good, uh, good players. Um, actually one of the guys at my rival high school was the left fielder for Oklahoma this year in the, in the college world series, Kendall Pettis. Oh, well, yeah, we are fully aware of that one. Let's run a couple of these, these accolades, Jack, you're talking about the great plays you played against. They are telling the same story on a different podcast. So you earned first team PBR, all state first team daily Southtown, all area four thirty batting average, 36 runs, 14 doubles, two triples, three home runs, Four and two record, 1.55 ERA, 53 Ks during your senior year. And I'm not done. Three-time regional championship, one-time sectional champion, ESCC all-conference team in 2018. So take I hear that for data. Take that for data. I mean, I'm running <laughs> through all of these accolades. It sounds like high school was not, it was just a blast for you, right? But if you could just pick out like one moment or one year, one season, one game, one series, what's that one thing for you, Jack? So my senior year, we had a really good team. So it's tough to pick just one game, but we did. We played one game at Wrigley Field my senior year. Uh, actually started on the mound in that one, so that was really cool. And then we also went down to North Carolina. It was like USA Baseball Training Facility. Yeah. They had their high school tournament down there, so we also got selected for that. Um, and then we had a pretty good run through the playoffs. So that's, I mean, senior year was a blast, a lot of fun. We had a lot of good players on the team and you know, great guys as well. So that was a lot of fun. So obviously, recently, you know, I saw you play a little too well on third base, but I noticed that all these pitching stats, I got to ask you, what do you enjoy more, being on the mound or being in the field? So I've, I've played the field my whole life. I, didn't, I actually didn't start pitching until my junior year of high school. So I uh, kind of have a slight bias towards uh, being a position player right now. And, you know, obviously it's always fun when you get to hit. So, so you weren't soft like other pitchers that I know that just do PO, right? I mean, because I no, know some guys I, like I was that. never a PO. No, I was never a PO. I was uh, always kind of position player first and then kind of just picked up the pitching because I had a pretty good arm. That's unacceptable, Randy. Oh, sorry. Sorry. I, 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 you know, I wasn't talking about you, DB. I was talking about this other guy. So <laughs> obviously, the next question was going to be what was your favorite team? But it sounds like, you know, not to knock any of those other guys, but your senior year, that's probably your favorite year, favorite team. 
Yeah, it's probably my favorite team. And uh, a lot of good teams. It was a lot of fun. But yeah, probably the senior year team was, was probably my favorite. You know, we talked about it, Jack. So your dad, your uncle, your grandfather, they all go to Notre Dame. Was there ever a chance you weren't going to go to Notre Dame? So there was. My, my parents always like to say that they wanted me to look elsewhere and, and kind of try to take the Notre Dame bias out of it, especially my mom. Um, my mom likes to say that I was brainwashed from basically out of the womb. So I uh, took the visit to Notre Dame, and obviously I'd been there before, and, and I didn't really know what to expect, kind of got the offer there. Uh, and obviously was excited about that. But the next weekend, we actually went out to some Ivy League schools and, and my mom was kind of reminding me the whole week, like, make sure you really pay attention. Like, don't just think it's all Notre Dame. It's all Notre Dame. Uh, kind of went out there and you know, I was like, hey, mom, like, I think I got to go to Notre Dame. And you know, I told my dad and he was like, super excited about it. Obviously, the whole family. Um, so they they like to say that there was a chance and, you know, who knows it. The recruiting process would have gone a different way, maybe, but you know, kind of all just worked out where I ended up at Notre Dame. But would your uncle and grandfather would they have like disowned you? Would you have still been in the family if you yeah. picked like USC or something? Jack, Jack I, I would have been eating eating Thanksgiving dinner alone at the kitty table. Yeah. yeah, right. You know, they've got these little rivalries with these with these schools from football, so it probably wouldn't have, couldn't have been one of those. But you know, I think that you know there is a select list where you know we're okay with those schools where you know, I could still be invited to Thanksgiving. Yeah, well, the irony of you saying you at least made the visit, we just had a discussion right before you came on about guests that we have that they'll go to that first school and then they like it so much they don't take the other visits. And it's like, why not take the visit? Check it out, see what it's about. And so the idea that even though you were pretty sure it was Notre Dame, but you still went and checked out the other schools, I like that because, I mean, at least go check it out, see what it's about. You never, you never know what might happen. But nonetheless, man, you get to campus. Are you more excited or are you more nervous? that point it was all kind of excitement you know it's something new um you know excited to play baseball you know there's a little bit of, of nervousness in terms of you know am I gonna play my freshman year like what kind of role am I gonna have on the team uh you know but for the most part it's just excitement to kind of you know live out the dream of going to Notre Dame obviously that's kind of you know looking at my my dad and my grandfather it was always kind of a dream of mine so kind of being able to to like fulfill that dream was was just a blast and I was super excited when I got on campus and you know, all kind of worked out in my favor. Yeah. So to tie that to the next question, you know, you finally put on that uniform for the first time. Like, what are the emotions? You we were just talking about the uniforms as the icebreaker, but you know, whatever uniform it was you first put on, if it's that practice jersey, whatever it is, but and then you step out on that field like you're really playing for Notre Dame. I mean, what are the emotions going through your head? Yeah, that first game, it was kind of, you know, you look at the lineup card and saw my name on there, and it's you know, it's you kind of have to remind yourself, like, I've played baseball my whole life. I shouldn't be this nervous, but, you know, it's the excitement of playing in that first college game and, you know, fulfilling that dream. So I was definitely a little bit more nervous in, in that moment instead of excitement. But, you know, game starts, kind of make that first play, get that first at bat, and it's, you know, you kind of, oh, yeah, this is baseball. Like, I've played this game since I was three or four years old. Like, you know, this is exactly where I want to be, and, and I'm, I'm excited to be here. And, and then at that point, it's just having fun and enjoying the game. What if you would have uh, been at third base your first game and not get a single ball game? Would you have been nervous going into that second game? <laughs> so that actually happened. Uh, the first oh. game, I got I had no ground balls, uh, you know, had the at-bats. The at-bats kind of – that settles you down for me. Uh, and then going into that second game, I, I, like, didn't even think about it. And then I got the first play, like, kind of cut it in front of the shortstop a little bit and made the play. And he was like, hey, man, like, 
uh, it's probably my ball, but <laughs> I'm glad you got your first play out of the way. And then it kind of like Don, oh, you know, thank God that wasn't the air. You know, you kind of make that first play. And then from there on, oh, I'm a college player. Like, I, I can do this. It's all good. There you go. So freshman season, uh, man, only 13 games. Obviously, we know it was uh, cut short by COVID, but you started all 13. Um, once again, you know, you had time on the mound and in the field. Uh, what's that like now, you know, to do both on an even higher level? It's one thing to do it in high school. You know, I met you through Cameron James. He did both in high school. But once he got to college, pitching was, you know, thrown away. For you, not so much, man. You're doing both. What's that like? Yeah, so it's kind of, you know, finding the time to do both and, and you know, taking time away from one to focus on the other. And, you know, you kind of have to create that extra time to, you know, really focus on both and, and try to be successful at both. And um, my freshman year, it was kind of, you know, just kind of letting that that pure talent take over and, and trying not to think too much and, you know, just trying to get that experience under your belt because, you know, college, like you said, college is a little different than high school. You kind of have to go through it to to know what to expect. So it was kind of just going out there and, and, and you know, putting the best stuff out there and, and see what happens um, and then try to learn from it. You know, that's all you can really do is go out there and experience it and then look back and say, you know, this is what I did well, this is what I did poorly. And, you know, this is what I need to work on for next time. So that, that freshman year, it was kind of just getting used to doing both. Um, in high school, I was a starter. So, you know, I had one day where I, I knew I was pitching and then the other day I knew I, I didn't have a chance, but in college, it was kind of be ready for anything as a reliever. So, um, kind of getting that that first outing out there freshman year um, kind of really settles the nerves and, and then you're just kind of ready you, you know you want to help the team win so that's kind of where I was at freshman year was just you know, stay ready be ready whenever your name gets called and then go out there and try to help the team win so did you ever have any uh, little league style moments where you know you were standing on third and then you got the got told you were going into pitch from there oh yeah that's you know, basically had that my whole career at Nardem so I think the first time I went in there, uh, there was like two outs or maybe one out in the top of the ninth and kind of got the signal from coach, you know, kind of like points at me. He's like, <laughs> I'm like, me? Like right now? Are you sure? I'm like, all right. Like, yeah, let's do it. You know, kind of go in there. And it's kind of funny. The first out I got in college as a pitcher, it was first and third and and the kids stole and the, the play where the catcher threw it right back to me. And it was like a run down and tagged the kid out at third. So didn't actually get an out on the mound, but got the out. And so that was my first time on the mound. It was just straight off a third base, like just threw me in the game. And, and then it was like second or third pitch kids stole. And when we got him out, so I was like, all right, there we go. Hey, I guess is, I can do both. So Jack, I, I've always wondered this because yes, Randy, I was a, a pitcher only as a PO. <laughs> oh, um, you were. Yeah. 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 Um, you know, I'll, I'll take those daggers out of my back, but. Jack, Anyhow, he, couldn't hit, he couldn't hit, bro. <laughs> That's true. I could pitch, though. I get outs. That's all that matters. So yeah, As long as you're good at one or the other. That's right. I always wondered this. Like, when it's coming time where, you know, it's – you know you might have the opportunity to get on the mound. Are you at third base, like, throwing the ball a little bit different? Are you focused on, like, fielding ground balls and warming up? Or is it, like, the – are you doing something different like when you're preparing at third base, knowing that you might in the middle of this inning transition from third to the mound? Yeah. So they would always let me know. They would say, Hey, you know, kind of be ready. Like this is where we're thinking, you know, if something happens, you know, be ready. And then it would kind of go out there for the, like the in-between innings uh, ground balls. And, and it was always kind of, they would let the first baseman know. And then it was, 
you know, throwing it over there as hard as I could to get warm and, and try to be ready. So that was kind of always where I was at. And a lot of times I would run down the bullpen real quick in between innings, um, throw a couple of pitches, something like that. So, but yeah, they would let me know. And then I would go out there and kind of hum a couple of fastballs over there. And, you know, the first baseman off was always a little upset about that, but you know, they kind of powered through it for me. So you should created your own, like the, the Jack Brannigan rule where the bullpen catcher came to third base and like you just warmed up right there like right in, in between the innings yeah so uh my coach actually played he, i don't know if you guys remember houston street uh kind of did the two-way thing over at texas and he said that they would have a, a catcher come down and, and go down there in the full squat um kind of like along that warning track down by the dugout and he would just like throw a bullpen in between innings to get warm and so my coach was always, you know like maybe we could try something like that um, and I think that kind of got shut down this year. We did it a couple of times where the bullpen catcher would come down and they would just, I would just play catch with them a little bit. Um, but I think that got shut down after a couple of games. I think they went back and read the rule book, and, you know, they got rid of that. So, yeah, and that was interesting this season, you know, cause I hadn't really seen much of what you went through. I don't usually see position guys and this year for Mississippi state, you know, they were so banged up pitching. And when I was at the games, a couple of them, Lane Forsythe, the shortstop pitch. And so you'd watch him head from shortstop into the dugout and you'd actually watch him run down the bullpen. And I, I could be wrong. I, I watched Lane play a lot, reading his face. He didn't look excited that he had to leave shortstop to go pitch, but uh, they were short on arms, so he had to do what he had to do. But, you know, on that freshman season, you know, obviously only 13 games, but there was two key notes that I want to go to or two games. Um, you threw two point uh, two innings or two and two thirds uh, of relief against uh, North Carolina to get your first win. And then you were one of three Irish to record five RBIs in a game during a season, along with Nico Cavadas and Jack Alexander. So even with only playing 13 games, did you feel like you were successful and did you meet your expectations in just that short time? So for me, kind of the first two weekends weren't great. Um, that first weekend, I actually was – didn't get my first hit until the last at bat of the weekend. So kind of going into it, you're like, oh man, am I about to head back to school and, and go to class knowing that I'm over the weekend and you know, kind of got that one, uh, kind of makes you feel good. And then the next weekend wasn't great, but a little bit better. And then that third weekend kind of, you know, got more comfortable out there and started to pick it up. And then uh, that fourth weekend was against North Carolina. That was kind of where everything kind of came together. Um, I think I had the five RBIs on Sunday and, and got the win on Saturday. So, uh, you know, I ended on a high note, obviously, unfortunately got shut down after that from COVID. So, you know, when you really break up the season, it was, you know, didn't start great, but, you know, finished great. And, uh, you know, felt good about going, felt good about it going into the next year. You know, you don't really know what to expect as a freshman. So getting to be in there and play and, you know, starting every game was a blast. So I felt like freshman year kind of, you know, met my expectations, wasn't anything exceptional, but wasn't, you know, terrible. Yeah, like you said, I mean, obviously you hated to get cut short right as you were getting things going, but it did give you something to build on and look forward to the next season, ending on a high note, like you said. So going into the next season, you played and started in all 47 games, made six appearances out of the bullpen on the season. Before I dive into that, um, you know, Daniel or Randy, with as much college baseball as we watched, how many guys um, – you know, I, we were just talking about how many guys have you seen do what Jack doing? I was just thinking about it. No, zero. Not me. 
Not the not at the level that Jack did it. That's what I'm thinking. I'm just I'm yeah. just trying to put it together because I felt like Lane doing it was only the second guy I've known to do it to Jack, and so I was just, I was just curious if maybe I was missing it. And so, uh, tip of the cap to you, Jack, because you actually do that. So, you know, do you think do you? But Jack, do you think that's a co like a coach's like philosophy? You know, is it their philosophical belief like? my position guys are my position guys and my pitchers are my pitchers. Or is that just something where if, if you show the talent, they're going to let you try it. And if you have some success, they're going to keep riding it. Uh, I think it's kind of similar. Like you were talking about earlier with playing different sports. I feel like a lot of guys just kind of start to focus on one. Um, and, you know, they don't really did give it a chance, but I think it's kind of a coach's philosophy where, you know, Hey, am I going to let this guy go out there and try both or, Am I going to force him into the which, which, whichever one I think is he's better at right now? So I think that definitely got the benefit of having a coach that was willing to let me go out there and try both. And so I don't know. It's I feel like it's starting to get a little bit more common. Um, there's guys that start, have done it. And I think that, you know, when you play, when you start every game in the field, it, it makes it a little different. Whereas there's guys where, you know, if, if they're kind of, started coming as a freshman and they, you know, they don't have a starting role right away. It's easier to be like, Oh yeah, you're a pitcher. And then you start to develop that before you really develop the bat. And then it that part kind of takes off. So I feel like it's definitely, um, you know, a coach's beliefs at this point. Well, speaking of the bat, you know, uh, that year you had 31 runs, 51 hits, 12 doubles, two triples, six home runs, 29 RBIs, eight steals, um, slashed at 295, 385, 491. On the mound, you finished with a 1 0 record with three saves and uh, four innings pitched with seven strikeouts. So, Take that for data. <laughs> again, before we get into team success and the postseason, I'm going to ask the question again before we dive into specific games. Did you meet expectations that year in your mind? Um, no, I actually felt like I was a little bit under it uh, that year. I felt like I could have done better on the mound. I felt like a you know, there are some things that I needed to work on. And, you know, that was kind of the motivation that was there going into this year and, you know, summer ball last year. And, and then this, this season kind of, you know, there's things that you do well and there's things that you do poorly. So it's kind of, you know, taking the good and the bad and, you know, having confidence in yourself, but also knowing that there's a lot more work to be done. I pegged you wrong. You know, I thought that 295 batting average was what you were going to say. I thought you were going to say you needed that to be a tick higher. I know how you want to be over 300. Yeah, no, I was hoping I could get maybe one more hit or something down there in Starkville, but uh, ended up a little bit short. Yeah, so before we get to Starkville, man, let's talk about, you know, the regionals in South Bend. You know, postseason is so different. Uh, obviously, every stadium can get electric on a weekend, especially if you're playing a rival or anything. But when you get to the postseason, it's just completely different. So what was that environment like in the South Bend Regional? Oh, it was a blast. So that whole year because of COVID, we actually – um, only had parents and, and some friends in stands. So you kind of, everyone got a couple tickets and that was all we had in the regular season. So uh, when we got to the postseason, they totally opened up. It was full capacity. And, and I still remember walking out of the clubhouse uh, before that first game and looking up in the stands and it was, it was packed. It was kind of you know, like a surreal, such a surreal moment to look up there and, and finally play a game at Notre Dame in front of a full crowd. So it was awesome. It was a blast. There was, you know, every people were there for all three games and um, you know, we, we did pretty well that weekend. So there's a lot for them to cheer for. And uh, it got pretty loud. So that was a blast. That's what I was going to ask you. I was like, is that the reason why y'all smashed everybody? Because y'all had fans in the stands? Yeah, maybe. You know, the first time with the fans in the stands, uh, guys had a little bit more motivation and, you know, kind of 
uh, tapped into the power a little bit more. Yeah, no doubt. So speaking of environments, though, then you got to go to Startville. You know, the dude holds the most uh, the most audience and, you know, all of baseball. Um, but you just, like I said, you ran through regional so effortlessly. So are y'all nervous about going into Startville at all or are y'all just playing, you know, with the utmost confidence? I think we went there with a lot of confidence, obviously. Um, like you said, ran through the regional, had a lot of success there. So I think at that point, it's just about continuing to stay hot and kind of playing good baseball. But you know, everyone was pretty excited to play in front of that crowd. Obviously, Duty Noble Field is you know one of the biggest stadiums in college baseball. And I think that first game actually broke an attendance record. So we were all just super excited. I don't think anyone was really nervous for it. Um, you know, obviously, there's a slight nerves that come with with playing baseball, especially in the postseason. But I don't think anyone was really scared of the environment. It was just more excitement to get down there and play in front of that, that size crowd. Yeah, that's actually right where I was going to go. You said what I was going to bring up. You know, y'all lost a close game in game one, eight to nine, but it was in front of the that crowd of, of basically 15,000 people. So, I mean, even in a loss, I mean, that just – it had to be cool to play in that atmosphere no matter what. Oh, it was a blast. It was so cool. Uh, I just remember it was like every single – everywhere you looked, there was probably 10 to 15 rows of people minimum. Um, I mean, you talk about the left field lounge and – and the students were in right field. And then you got double deckers um, around down the base path. So it was just a blast. It was super cool to see everybody there. Um, the cool thing for us was during BP, kind of like an hour and a half before the game, they, they would open up the gates and it was like people were sprinting across the stadium to get those general admission seats over there in the grass. Mm -hmm. So we're kind of like taking BP, the music's going, nobody's in there. And then all of a sudden you got, Cowbells are, are going nuts and, and people are sprinting in there. So that was pretty cool. My question. Are they giving y'all the business in BP? <laughs> um, so I guess uh, the people in the outfield were kind of giving them the business a little bit, but a lot of it was kind of, you know, what do you want to eat? We'll throw it on the grill for you. That's what so, I was fixing to ask you is did they feed you? Because they usually always feed the opposing team. They're really good about that. Oh, yeah. They fed a bunch of the guys, um, all of our like pitchers that were out there shagging so that everybody was super nice. And it was a blast. They were kind of, you know, what do you want? We'll throw it on there. We'll give it to you after the game. So it was a blast. I would have fed y'all before the game, overly fed y'all, make sure y'all are moving a little bit slower. But, you know, that's the tactic I would have went with. But y'all roll game. Yeah, right. <laughs> but y'all roll game two and the rubber match is on deck. Um, you know, game three didn't go the way I wanted. And as we're talking about the – they call it the dude effect. Um Y'all were the best defensive team in the nation statistically, and I don't think anybody questioned that. And y'all had some miscues in that game that aren't normal. Um, a lot of people say that that crowd and that effect and even playing in that moment on that stage, uh, you know, had something to do with it. Was that anything to do with it or was it just unfortunate bad luck? Uh, I like to think it was a little bit of bad luck, you know. That, I mean, if you kind of look at it, some of them are just kind of – silly mistakes that kind of happen in baseball. Um, you know, I think the biggest thing for us that game was actually the heat. I don't know if uh, any of you guys were at the game, but I think it was probably, I mean, it felt like a hundred and, you know, we we're all kind of sweating. So I think a couple of those errors were kind of, kind of losing the ball or something like that. But, you know, obviously the crowd was into it. Um, it was a blast to play in front of it. And then, you know, th you throw in the nerves of the postseason. and uh, Obviously we ran through the regional. So that was kind of our first close game. So, I don't know. You know, you like to say that that, that didn't have a factor. Um, but, 
you know, it all kind of ties together and, you know, you, you make the errors and you lose the game, but uh, kind of gave us the experience we needed to bounce back in game two, felt like. Yeah, absolutely. Well, fun note for the game. And um, Randy has ties to NASA, and he has recently found out they have finally found the ball that Nico smashed off Landon Sims. So, um, Still in orbit. <laughs> so eventually they'll bring it back. I don't know where they'll store it. It's going to be it's going to be on display. We had Landon on it. He even admitted, you know, the, the fact that that was the first home run he had given up all season and Nico hit it like like Randy said to the moon like what was it like watching that so like you said it was Landon's first home run given up I think it was like right before that maybe two pitches before uh kind of looked at one of the guys in the bench and I was like you know this guy hasn't given up any home runs like we just got to try to get some guys on base kind of like just kind of make them uncomfortable and try to try to get these runs back somehow and then it was like Nico hit it and it was like everybody just kind of stopped and stared because I mean, when you power that fastball, I mean, Landon had a great fastball and then Nico kind of just took like one of those swings where he peered it up and then like all you could do was stop and stare like that thing flew out of the stadium. I mean, easily the farthest home run I've ever seen in my life. I don't know if I'll ever see another one hit farther. That yeah. thing was was blasted. Yeah. And those guys have both we've had Logan Tanner, the catcher and Landon both on and they both laugh about it. And of course, it's probably because they won. If they had lost on that, you know, it might be a different story. But then it's not funny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. yeah, right. Exactly. But even Logan said he admired the distance from the from catcher's play. He was just watching. He was like, man, is that thing ever going to come down? So, yeah, that thing was legit. But uh, before I let Randy talk to you about, uh, you know, this past season, you know, summer ball, uh, you played in the Cape with the Gateman, and that's, uh, you know, how we got connected to you through Cameron James. Uh, what's it like playing in the Cape? And the reason why I ask is me and Daniel probably watched Summer Catch one million times in high school. So we've always been fascinated with the Cape. So what's it like playing up there? It was a blast. It was a lot of fun. Um, you know, I also – my parents actually made me watch that movie as well um, before I went up there. Uh, that definitely some parts of that movie that aren't exactly accurate. Um, but it was, it was, you know, it was pretty close. It was, it was cool. Uh, it was like baseball at its purest form is kind of the easiest way to describe it. You know, you kind of just go out to high school type field and, you know, there's people that are just bringing their blankets or lawn chairs and, you know, they're kind of just sitting wherever they can and just kind of, everyone's just enjoying the game. There's, you know, there's not a ton of pressure. Everyone's just kind of enjoying it, trying to get better. Um, you know, the wins and losses matter, but at the end of the day, everyone's out there trying to get better. So it really just makes it a lot of fun. And then, you know, you meet guys from across the country that you played throughout the year. Uh, you know, I was a little upset that I had to play with Cameron and Callum after they got us, you know, and then they would go on and win the national championship. So they had a little bit more bragging rights than I would have liked, but well, still cool to meet a lot of guys. Well, one more thing then, since, you know, you brought up both those guys, they both struggled real bad in the Cape. And, uh, you know, Cam admittedly said they were just tired, you know, for you, because y'all made it almost as far. Obviously, y'all didn't make Omaha, but, I mean, made it to the last game of Super Regionals. Did you feel some fatigue when you were there? Um, I don't know if I'd really say fatigue. I think the biggest adjustment is just kind of the atmosphere is totally different. You know, you play in front – you play at Duty Noble and then you go play in Omaha. It's, you know – everyone's kind of hanging on every pitch and, and the crowds into it. You know, there's 25,000 people in Omaha and 15,000 in Starkville. And then you get out to the Cape and, you know, it's kind of like a couple hundred people there. It's laid back. It's, you know, it's a little bit more, it's a little bit more difficult to get in the game. So I think that, you know, that was kind of the big, the, the adjustment you have to make immediately. Um, but then you just kind of, 
you're just out there enjoying it. So I don't really feel, I don't know if I really felt a lot of fatigue. Obviously I didn't play as many games as those guys. And uh, you know, they had a little bit more, more stress going through Omaha. So I don't know if I really felt the fatigue, but you know, it was, it was just a lot of fun out there. So Jack, uh, this season y'all played baseball and then it ended. So that's it for this season. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so as we, we kind of go over some more accolades, kind of like we did for your high school, 2022 perfect game, third team, all American 2022 Statesboro regional all tournament team, 291, 47 runs, 12 home runs, 46 RBIs, two and two record, two saves on 14 innings pitch with 28 Ks to just eight walks. But more impressively, uh, to all of us was the way that you played defensively on third base, just an absolute stud there too. But I got a question for you. Just like we asked you about your previous seasons and, and high school and all that, was there a specific game or specific teams that you enjoyed more? And why was it Tennessee? Um, well, for picking out a single series, just kidding. Uh, definitely the Tennessee series was a blast. Um, unfortunately <laughs> no, for you. No, uh, yeah, I know little bit different experience but no doubt. you know we felt the same thing last year at, at Mississippi State and I feel like that was kind of what really helped us this year was was kind of thinking back of how we were one game short last year and that was kind of the motivating factor throughout the, uh, the, the off season and going into the season it was let's get back we want to get back to the supers and, and we're going to win one more game than we did last year so I feel like that was kind of the goal throughout the year was was just to finish it better than we did last year and then you know you kind of get the Tennessee draw and it's obviously um, a big challenge, you know, we, everyone saw it on, on social media and whatnot. They, I mean, they, the way that their regular season went, it was just, it was impressive to watch in all facets, uh, you know, obviously the home runs and the offensive power. And then, you know, you throw in some pretty good arms as well. I got a couple first rounders over there and, you know, I mean, I think against us, every single one of their starters was, was throwing 98 and, you know, they brought in Joyce was pumping 102, 103 against us. So, I mean, all around, that was a great team and, and obviously a big challenge. And I think that, that the experience from last year kind of helped us to uh, win that series. No, I, I completely agree. And, and we talked about it on this show as that I felt like you guys, we all felt like you guys got robbed not hosting. And it was selfishly for me, Jack. I did not want Tennessee to have to play Notre Dame in the Super Regional because of what you just said. The experience factor, being one game short, being in an atmosphere like Duty Noble, Obviously, Tennessee's a lot smaller stadium, but it's, you know, still it's really uh, it's loud and they're on top of you and all that. But I knew you guys wouldn't be scared of that being a more experienced team. But what I've really come to notice is that I hate the NCAA for the way that they seated everybody. So my beef is not with Notre Dame. It's with the way that everybody was seated out. I felt like you guys had a good enough season to be a host. But did you guys use that as motivation when you're going in to the regionals and super regionals? Yeah, no, I, I kind of agree with you there. I think that, you know, going into that Monday, we were kind of thinking, you know, are we going to host a super or, or just a regional? And then kind of comes out where we're not hosting anything. And, you know, it's kind of that initial, it, we, we kind of had that initial shock where it was like, you know, we thought we had a good enough season. We felt like there were some teams, uh, you know, we beat some good teams and obviously we had some tough losses, but that's kind of the way it goes for every team. So you kind of like take a step back and you're like, you know, all right, like that's the draw we got. I uh, can't change it now, but we just got to go out and play our best baseball. And, um, you know, I think that for some guys, that was kind of the motivating factor. But I think the overriding one was kind of how last season ended uh, down in Starkville. So I think when you when you combine both of those, uh, there's a lot of motivation for a lot of people uh, to go out there and play our best baseball and obviously go down to state, uh, Statesboro, um, play a couple pretty close games, uh, kind of just grind it out down there. 
Um, if you want to talk about a good environment, Statesboro was a blast. That we played them Saturday night, Georgia Southern. Um, it was like good the whole squad. town was there. Oh yeah, they had a great team, and like in terms of a crowd, that was probably. I think they sold out. They probably went over capacity. It was, I mean, they had the student section was right on top of our dugout. So, I mean, that game was a blast. That was, that was super cool atmosphere. Um, kind of won that game one on Sunday. And then, you know, obviously looking at Tennessee and you go there, that's another great atmosphere. You know, there's people everywhere. Everyone's, you know, rooting against you and that kind of just makes it more fun. So I think that when you throw playing on the road in there, the, the big thing is just everybody's rooting against you. So it's almost more fun to, to kind of go in there and, kind of try to uh, quiet the place down a little bit. Hey, Randy, no. help me remember, didn't Daniel pick Georgia Southern in that regional? Tell Ooh, me I'm wrong. Tell man. me I'm wrong. Did the PO pick I, Georgia Southern? I think he did. Yes, I did. Oh. Mm. But so that's okay. You know, I'm sure that these guys all – I mean, actually probably all three of you guys probably took t- – Pick Tennessee and uh, the Supers. Yeah, that's, let's, that's a fact. Yeah, that's, that's a fact. But, but let, Jack, me, let me be clear. Let's get back. Let's get back to talking about beating Tennessee. That no, was, on, was uh, so we'll, much cooler. We'll, we'll get there, but that's what actually killed me, Jack. We did uh we did our preseason Omaha eight, and I had Notre Dame and Tennessee in there. So when y'all were matched up, that killed me because y'all both couldn't make me and me and Randy both had you in the in the preseason thing. So like Randy said, he knew coming into the season, and he knew before that series started that was not who he wanted Tennessee facing. No, and it, but let, let's get back into the heartbreak that was that series for me. That was great for you. So I've been set up to read this off to you. You know, obviously, you know, <laughs> you get into that series, at, you, you guys having the experience of you being some upperclassmen, just a bunch of grown-ass men, Jack. You go in there, obviously, just like you said about Mississippi State, you're not nervous or anything like that. You're excited about the opportunity. You're not intimidated by the environment. But talk about what the team was feeling after you kind of cruise through the regional. Not cruise through. You had some close games. You get through regionals because every win's a great win, especially when you can get through that series, that regional, right? You're going into Tennessee. What's the temperament of the team? Is it like you said, we're going to get one more game than we got last year? Or what's it like? Yeah, I think that, you know, going into it, it's, you know, you're happy that you won the regional. But, you know, we kind of knew that there were things that we needed to work on. I think that when you look at last year, um, you know, whether it was kind of there or not subconsciously, like, yeah, we just rolled through all the games. We won, I think we won every game by double digits. So you're kind of thinking no one can really stop us. But I think that going into Tennessee this year was, you know, we had three close games that, you know, maybe we probably should have played better. We felt like we should have played better and, um, you know, should have won by a couple more runs. And so that was kind of like, it was, you know, nice job winning the regional, but, but the work's not done. We get, we got to get better in certain facets if we, if we want to go in there and knock them off. So I think that it was kind of the, you know, the temperament of the team was, was let's go in there and make some noise and, and play our best baseball and, and kind of see what happens. Yeah. So game one against Tennessee, obviously hostile environment, you're going in there and they're, you know, red hot had been one of probably one of the best regular season college baseball teams we've seen in a long time. Um, but you win that game, and a big reason for that was your three-run home run. And Jim texted me when you were coming up to bat. He's like, you know, future guests coming up. And I'm like, oh, yeah, not right now. Okay, not right now. Then you hit the three-run bomb. But walk me through what's the emotion like, what's the feeling like as that ball leaves your bat. And it was a no-doubter off the bat. Yeah, so kind of go up there. Um, I think we hit a home run in the first three innings. So we are kind of building a lead, but – you know, Tennessee has a great offense, so you, you don't really feel comfortable with any lead. So going up there, two outs, guys on base, you know, I was kind of really just trying to hit something hard, and I think they were on second and third. So I was kind of just thinking about getting those runs in, and then 
um, kind of got the slider and, and got it. And, you know, like you said, hit the bat. I knew it was gone right away. And it's just like pure joy of you know, hitting one out and, and, you know, building, continuing to build the lead. And uh, from there, it was kind of like counting down the outs until you could, could finish off that game. Yeah, obviously, you know, it's, it's no secret that Tennessee was a highly emotional team. Uh, but I got to ask you, are you guys in your dugout, are you probably aware, but how in tune are you when Gilbert gets kicked out of the game, Frank Anderson gets kicked out of the game? What are you guys over there? Are you just like eating your popcorn, watching this all go down? What's going on over there? So the initial thing was to shock. Like I kind of, you know, whatever happens, he kind of says something, whatever. And then I saw the umpire kind of toss somebody did he just toss Gilbert? Like, did that really just happen? Like it was almost just pure shock. Um, and then from there, you're kind of just watching it like unfold, like waiting to kind of hear exactly what happened. Uh, you know, you're kind of excited to go in the dugout and ask the catcher what he said and, and like kind of how that exchange went. <laughs> we know um, what he said. <laughs> yeah. Right. You kind of, you know, read some lips or whatnot, but yeah, it was kind of just like pure shock in the moment. And then it was like, all right, like how, how does it go from here? Like what, you know, is the batter out? Is he, you know, just this game? Is it next game? And, you know, you're kind of just trying to refocus in. Um, but it's just like shock. Like you couldn't help but just like watch the whole thing go down and, and kind of just wait and see what happened. No, absolutely. So uh, game two, obviously, Tennessee responds. Uh, like I think a lot of people uh, thought they might at least try to respond. So they respond in a big way. Lipschitz obviously has a, a career day. Uh, but you guys in the same spot that you were the previous year, right? You got a rubber match coming up, SEC opponent, all that stuff. What's the message from the coaching staff to you guys? The message was kind of like, you know, we've been here before. We know what to expect. You know, we 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 felt like we played a pretty good game on Friday, and you know, we played a pretty bad game on Saturday. So we kind of knew we just you know, I need to play better than we did that day, and you know, we felt like we had a really good team and, and we didn't really want this to be the last time that we, we played together. There was a lot of you know, seniors and grad guys on team, like you said, uh, a lot of old guys. So we didn't really want that to be the last game that we played. So the message was kind of just been here before. Don't, don't make it into something bigger than it is. Just go out there and play baseball. So we get into game three, obviously the deciding game and, you know, tennis Burns is pitching like, I mean, he's he's doing his thing. It's a pitch and duel. Tennessee gets a little bit of a lead. And then for a couple innings, at least for me, it kind of just felt like a, not a lot. There's, there's stuff happening, but it's just kind of like punching, jabbing, jabbing, jabbing. Obviously, you guys hit the huge home run, take the lead. You hold on to it uh, and knock off the number one team. Tip of the cap to you. You guys definitely earned it. But my question for you, you obviously, you were a stud on a little too much for me, Jack. But how long does that celebration last before you guys get back to laser-focused and on to Omaha? Um, you know, I think that the kind of like pure excitement lasts for a couple of days, kind of, I think that when you, when you get to Omaha, it's kind of like a big party. Uh, I know Jim's been there. I don't know if you guys have been there, but you know, everyone's there. Everyone's just having a great time. So you're kind of just riding high for, for about a week. And then, you know, once you get into that practice on Thursday, that's when you kind of start to, to lock it back in and you kind of, you know, there's always in the back of your mind, like that wasn't it. We, you know, you don't want that to be the last game that you win was to go to Omaha. So you're kind of always waiting to lock it back in. You know that there's a couple of games coming up, but you know, you're, you're feeling good. You're riding high. You're, you're excited to be in Omaha. It's a blast, you know, dream come true to go there. And, and so you kind of just start to tune it back in probably about a day before the next game. And, and then you're ready to go. So Jack, Randy conveniently just skipped over the, the end of, of game three. 
So I I, I got a clip for you. I, I want to take you back. So let's, let's listen on. To third. Brannigan goes to second for one. Miller to first. And Notre Dame with the upset of the year. <laughs> My audio is not working. I can't. Yeah, it's, yeah. So obviously that's that's the, the, the last play of the game. So, you know, with that play, before the ball is even hit, obviously you know that you got a chance to turn a double play. Are you thinking double play or are you thinking let's just get an out? However we get it, we get it. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm really just thinking an out. You know, you're you're ready. If if it's hit to me, I'm I'm knowing I'm going to second. Um, obviously if it's kind of a funkier ball or a slower ball, then just kind of make sure that I get one out. But, you know, I'm kind of thinking, let's get this out any way we can. Uh, the guy before walked. So it was kind of like, all right, let's not make this be, you know, a last, last inning, a late inning comeback for Tennessee. So you're kind of just ready. And then the ball is hit. And, um, you know, I kind of, I've told my couple people before, like, I kind of just floated to that ball. Like, I don't know if I exactly remember stepping to it and getting into a good feeling position It kind of just, came to me and, and it was like you almost kind of know that that was it before you even feel it kind of just feel it and then as soon as it left my hand I was like all right like that was it like we're going to finish up this double play and then it's like pure excitement just kind of you're just running around going crazy like throwing a glove throwing a hat just pure pure static Jack I knew when it got hit to you it was over I turned off my TV <laughs> I ripped it off the wall you couldn't watch the rest. It threw, yeah. threw the through the the drink through the TV. Yeah, just decided that was kicked, it. Kicked the dog. It was a, it was a wrap. <laughs> um. Oh yeah, that was cool. I mean, it's it's probably, I guess, what you can really attribute to that feeling or being able to to get that situation and just like it's effortless. Is you go back to every fall the hard work that you're putting in taking ground balls one after the other. And, and to be honest, that's, that's, you know, as routine of a play as you probably make on a day-to-day -day basis, hit right at you, you're turning, making the throw over and you guys are, are rolling it up for two. Um, sure. You've probably done that a thousand times every year. And that's probably the reason why, you know, that practice makes perfect thing because it prepares you for the situation where, you just do it like it's just like the reaction. So, you know, the, the next clip I want to play you is obviously like the big clip. Brannigan touches this one deep left field. Notre Dame has done it again. And the Irish take the lead. So my question to you is, is, all right, are you thinking home run? And before the pitch is thrown, what, what is the approach to the ball? What are you thinking? Yeah, so kind of like we said, uh, Burns was doing his thing. We we're down 3-1. Um, you know, he was shutting us down. We didn't really have a lot going on and uh, kind of get the double in the inning. And I'm like, all right, like we got to start chipping away here because, you know, you're running out of outs. You're running out of time to, to kind of mount the comeback um, and then hit the home run to tie it. And it's kind of like pure excitement, but you kind of got to lock it back in there. So hit the home run in front of me. I, I kind of step back up to the plate, like try not to think about the chaos that's going on in the dugout behind me, just kind of trying to stay locked in. Um, you know, right away, you kind of think like, Oh, this would be cool if we went back to back right here. Uh, but trying to just slowing down the heartbeat. So saw the first pitch, saw well, um, took it, you know, strike one, uh, like felt good about it. Slider I actually got a slider again, the next pitch hit, hit a home run, but it was foul. 
So kind of like hit that one. I was like, oh, like, did I just hit a home run? And then I kind of started fade a little bit. I'm like, all right, no worries. Like, you know, all the pressure is kind of off me. Like, you know, if the end of the day, if I get out, you know, we're still going to the field. It's three to three. We're no longer down. Um, he threw another slider away. Uh, took ball one. So the first three pitches were all sliders. And, you know, I kind of just guessed. I was like, all right, they got me a couple of times earlier in the weekend on a fastball up. Just threw me three straight sliders in the at-bat. Kind of just guessed fastball up. He threw it. And, like, as it was on the way, I was like, all right, I'm going to hit this hard. Like, made the contact and then kind of just, like, blacked out. Like, knew it was a home run right away. Wow. Started so running around the bases a little bit. I was like, like, I just hit a home run. We just took the lead. Um, so, like, just floated, basically, to, like, second base. <laughs> You did a lot of floating in, in that inning, man. So so I have to ask, did you think at that point, like, obviously you get into the dugout, like it's chaos. Do you think I just I just put us into Omaha? Was that the thought? Because so that, I, my, that wasn't my thought, right? Because, I mean, we all – Tennessee is such a great offensive team. My, like, thought was, like, all right, that was big. Like, now we got the lead. Like, we can play with the lead. Kind of obviously tough as a team to kind of give up back-to-back -back home runs and give up the lead like that. So we knew it would be, uh, like, kind of deflating for, for them. But at no, I didn't really think, like, all right, game over. Like, I knew we still had work to do. Um, but it was just kind of, like, pure excitement. Like, I was like, all right, like, we got to get these last outs any way we can and, and just kind of hope to shut them down. So it wasn't, like, right away didn't think about it. But then after the game, it was kind of like, you know, that that was a pretty big home run in, in hindsight. So, Randy, are you picking up what Daniel's doing? Because he was supposed to have uh, gone on to Omaha now, but he's staying on this. One P.O. joke. And he's staying on this Tennessee <laughs> series. I think he might have five more questions about this series just to make you live through it some more. Now, so, we're, we're, we're going to put that to rest. We're going to move on to, to Omaha. I mean, obviously, Jack, you guys go to Knoxville and – you know, the stage is unlike any other. And now you, you take down the number one team in the country and now you're in Omaha. What was the feeling like or was it the same feeling, you know, going into Charles Schwab in Omaha as it was and these other like the previous year going to the dude and then this year going to Knoxville? Was it the same feeling or was it something totally different that you've never felt before? It was kind of like totally different because. Um, and whenever we kind of played in these big stadiums, we're always the away team. So it was kind of, you know, we had our little parent section of like, oh, you know, they're kind of getting loud when we do well. And it was cool. But, you know, when we when we got to Omaha, there was actually a, a really big crowd. And, you know, we kind of knew that there was kind of rumblings of, you know, a lot of people are going to come out. And, and so when we kind of stepped on that field the first game, we looked up in the stands and, and there was a lot more people there than we, we all expected. So that was just like totally different feeling. It was just a blast to play, play in front of all those people. And, you know, I think as the game went on, I don't know, maybe it was kind of my own personal bias, but it felt like everybody in the stadium was cheering for us. So it was just a blast. It was such a cool, such a cool feeling. They were cheering for you. And I'll explain why. Um, if you follow anything on Twitter or social media, everybody except for Tennessee fans seemed to hate Tennessee. And because Notre Dame knocked them off, Y'all had a whole bunch of fans for the rest of the way. If their team was not at Omaha, they were rooting for y'all just because y'all did something that they wanted done. So you guys, yeah, I got that. I got that quite a bit from some fans. It was kind of like in passing, like, "Hey, you play for Notre Dame, right?" I said, "Yeah," and then I said, "Right away." 
thank you for beating Tennessee. <laughs> and I was like, ah, yeah, thanks. I guess, you know, like, I'm just happy to be here like this, you know, I mean, so. like, I, it's like, what, what, what do you say? How do you respond to that? You're like, uh, okay, you're welcome. Like, yeah, right. Exactly. It's like, a, technically I didn't really do anything for you, but you know, it was yeah. so cool. There was a lot of, a lot more people there for that were rooting for us. And then obviously you throw in, um, the added fans from that. So it was just a blast. So you guys, you, you take down Texas and then you move on to Oklahoma, you lose to Oklahoma and then lose again to Texas A&M. I mean, obviously, you know, you had an incredible season and, you know, getting to Omaha, that's not how you pictured it going, obviously. But would you, is the season a failure? I mean, given what you had last year, you lost two guys really from the core of the team. The expectations were high. You met expectations. You moved to Omaha and then you you came up short and, you know, seven teams are going to come up short in Omaha. You know, you were one of the seven, but is the season a failure because of that, or would you consider it overall a success? I think it was a success. I think that, you know, at the beginning of the year, it's kind of a weird thing in college baseball. Everybody always says, you know, the goal is to make it to Omaha. You know, not, not a lot of teams kind of go in there saying, let's win the national championship. Obviously, once you make it to Omaha, the attention immediately shifts. But it's kind of this weird thing where all the teams, it's always, let's go to Omaha. So, you know, I think that when you take a step back after the initial disappointment of, of being eliminated and kind of getting knocked out, uh, you take a step back and it's, you know, there's a lot to hang your hat on. It was a really good season, obviously. Uh, Notre Dame has only been in the College World Series two times before this year, and it's been 20 years. So um, there's a lot of success that, that we're really happy with. Um, you know, the initial disappointment of losing is always there. And, you know, I always think you can do more, but you know, when you take a step back, it's the thing that we're going to always remember is, is going to Omaha and, and winning that first game and, you know, beating Tennessee to get to Omaha. So those moments will always kind of take the precedent over, over any negative. So I think that the season was definitely a success. Jack, it's my fault, man. I only watched the one game in Omaha and then I had to bounce out and then y'all, then y'all lost after that. I should have stayed there because when I watched y'all, y'all did just fine. Yeah, I know. Like, good luck charm. And, you know, he kind of just left us out to dry, man. But, you know, my wife would have divorced me if I didn't come home and help her move the house. So, you know what I mean? I got to make my priorities right. Yeah, right. You know, you got to make a sacrifice every once in a while. It's okay. <laughs> so, I'll forgive you. So, Omaha, you you mean, you got a lot at stake now. I mean, you, you obviously have to – that's a, a tough feeling, but you kind of got to turn the page quickly because now, I mean – you're looking, you're looking at the draft and depending on, you know, where you, you look like you're in the top 200, you're 140 to 160, depending on who, who, who you're talking to or what site you're looking at, um, listed as a pitcher and an infielder. What is, what do you think the projection is for you? And, and what do you think your ultimate, like, where are you looking to go? Uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, wherever it ends up happening, if it does end up happening, you know, it's just a blessing to be there and a blessing to be given an opportunity to, to play professional baseball. So I'm not really putting a ton of focus on it. And, you know, the rounds kind of at the end of the day, it's not a, not a huge deal for me. It's just kind of trying to find the right fit and, and trying to make the, the best decision for me and, and for my family. So the best decision is to go back to school, then, then I'll go back to school. And if the, you know, the right opportunity presents itself in the draft, like I'll just be ecstatic no matter what. Um, I'm not really trying to, not really getting bogged down in, in certain slot or location or whatever it is. I'm just looking for the right opportunity and 
and uh, kind of just trying to make the best decision for myself and my family. Well, man, whether it's pitcher, infielder, whatever the opportunity arises, whether that's, you know, being drafted and, and, and living your dream or going back to school, man, we wish you nothing but the very best, dude. And like, it's awesome to hear your story. It's, it's, it's great to finally have somebody on from Notre Dame, but you know, more importantly, you know, somebody who like was a, a big factor in where you guys ended up this, this season, man. So kudos to you, man. And you're a great dude. And we, you know, we wish you nothing but the best. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you guys for having me on. All right. Well, we ain't done just yet. We got to play a game. So all right. A game called this or that. And basically there's only two rules. Uh, you know, we give you a couple options. You can't say neither and you can't say both. You down to play? All right, let's do it. All right. So we're going to start easy. Pizza or tacos? Pizza. All right. So since you, uh, since you pitch and hit, I got to know, would you rather pitch a no hitter or hit the cycle? I'm going to go no hitter. No, no. All right. I don't know, man. After I watched Arenado hit the cycle the other day, it just looks like so much fun. Yeah, but they lost. I mean, both of those are pretty cool, but yeah, they they they, they lost. lost and he hit the cycle. If you go, you pitch a no no, probably not losing. Um, yeah, the, it's tough the, to pitch a no no and lose. The, the Pirates, the Pirates, Pirates, yeah, did, Pirates it. did it this year. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's because they're the Pirates. Yeah. All right, um, pick a movie: Rudy or The Sandlot. Sandlot. Oh, I'm so surprised. Like, do people Notre Dame has disowned you? Yeah, dude. <laughs> but I wonder that because we've we've watched and Rudy, probably the three of us. I, I can't guaranteed speak for the other two, but watched Rudy so many times. Do like people up north and in, and associated with Notre Dame, do they probably watch it as much, if not more? Or is it one of those things that you know it's kind of y'all's tradition, so y'all don't watch it as much? So I feel like it's a big thing where if you show up to Notre Dame and like, hey, have you ever seen Rudy? And you say no they're like, you have to watch it. Like you have to watch it. So I personally have seen it. My, you know, my dad showed it to me when I was a kid, I've seen quite a few times. Um, but it's funny you bring it up. That's always like the first thing, whenever we go somewhere on the road, it's right away. It's, you know, Rudy was off sides or some sort of Rudy joke. That's always the, the number one chirp from opposing fans. So that's kind of funny because it's like, you know, on campus, it's not like a huge deal as much as it is. Everybody makes it, everybody thinks it is. So. Well, both are fantastic movies, but I agree with you. I watched The Sandlot, Sandlot last night with my son for Fourth of July, so I'm with you. Um, this one will be interesting because, you know, you are smart. Would you rather be funny or would you rather be smart? I'm going to go with smart. That's a tough one, but I think I have to go with smart there. Ain't nothing wrong with that. All right, so this one sometimes seems like a simple question, but everybody's got their own thing. Would you rather be at a really nice pool or would you rather be at the beach? I'm gonna go with a really nice pool. The uh, the salt water gets you. I don't know if I can do the salt water that much. I think the the, the really nice pool is is always always a, a good time. Ain't nothing wrong with that. If you ever get down to Tampa, you can go to Daniel's pool and he'll play you in some uh some horse on the basketball goal and he'll embarrass you and make you not want to come to his house ever again like he did me. I'm hooping out there, and nobody coming in my home and beat me. I'll be there in two weeks. Oh. <laughs> So, so Jack, I got, I got to bring it up because it's been, I don't know, it's probably been like two seasons since I brought it up. I sat out there in his pool and I practiced and I practiced because I'm not going to lose this guy. 
And I'm thinking that we're going to shoot inside the pool. Well, as soon as oh, the yeah. game starts, he walks around the outer side of the pool and takes all his shots and hits five straight and just ends me like that. And I was like, bro, I've been practicing in the pool. He said, I never said I was shooting in the pool. So Jack, everyone knows, everyone knows the shots in the pool are the easiest. Yeah. Jack, Once you, you know step what? out, it's a different game. You know what's cute is he thought he could win. <laughs> <laughs> he thought, like, I could see the comp, like, he was sitting there getting close, like, doing layups in the pool, and he's like, all right, I got this. And I could just see the confidence building, and I just couldn't wait to just just burst that. Oh, yeah, I love that. No one comes into your pool and, and bosses you around. That's right. Feelings are still hurt, never coming back. I'll all be right. down. So here, yeah, I'm you're gonna, you're gonna you're gonna take one too. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm gonna take I'm gonna take your pride with me, cuz right. I'm gonna do what Jack did to Tennessee, <laughs> snatching souls. Ooh. Ooh. All right, Jack. Here comes the three tough questions. We've done all the easy questions. Would you right. rather save 100 strangers or just saved one loved one? I go with a hundred strangers. Oh, that's tough. That's tough, though. Hey, but you're the first one. I'm proud of you. I'm proud of you because that's a very selfless act. Daniel, Randy, do do either of y'all uh, have any issue with our first guest actually taking the strangers? I don't really like people. That's just strangers. <laughs> I'm gonna go with a loved one. That's no, I got I got no issue, but. I hope that your brothers or your father, grandfather, uncle, mom, hope nobody's listening. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, you said loved one. He never said, you know, yeah, I didn't put a specific so, one. So on you, you, there's so you no specific. So I didn't say, hey, save you. I didn't say, oh, hey, save your mom. I'm just kidding. I'm just that, kidding. That, that's, that's wrong, Randy. I can't say love you or save your mom or a hundred strangers. No, that puts a whole kidding. emphasis on it. If, if we're throwing like specific names out there, it totally changes it. No, but. no, no. I'm not. I'm just messing with you, Jack. Oh, that was a tough one. That was a tough one. I like I like your answer. You, you're, you're a selfless guy. All right, so would you rather be the hero or the villain? I mean, clearly the hero, right? He's going to save the go, <laughs> I got to go with the hero. I got to go with the hero. Who's your favorite superhero? You know, I think I got to go with Batman. Very a solid Batman. answer. I mean, all the gadgets, you know, the cars and stuff. The Dark Knight's one of my favorite movies, so I got to go with Batman. Solid. I got in an argument with my four-year-old the other day that the Dark Knight is not a superhero, so I used to have this cute little four-year-old, and, you know, I don't know where he's been lately, but <laughs> he said he's just a guy, a rich guy with a lot of toys. I'm like, mm. he picks he picks Spider-Man, Jack, so... I'm not saving him if it's 100 Strangers. <laughs> yeah. Spider-Man's a good pick, though. The, the recent movies are, you know, pretty good. But I'm, I'm a Batman guy. I don't know. Me too. I'm a, I'm a I think, villain, I think I'm a villain Batman, guy. I think Batman kind of goes with the 100 Strangers, you know. Obviously lost the loved one, started saving true. all the strangers. So well, maybe, Bat- maybe Bat- I just connect with Batman a little bit more. Batman is the reason why I'm villain. Like, all the villains from Batman are awesome, like. Give, give me the give me the Joker and all the and the Riddler and all that. I'm down, but let's not avoid this last question, Jack. We're gonna the, get into the it. Riddler. The Riddler's the worst villain ever. <gasps> Jim Carrey played the Riddler when we were kids. You better watch your mouth. Jack probably wasn't even born when that movie was made. You should have gone with Bane. Bane is cool. Oh, That's- I love Bane. 
Yeah, I figured he'd be a, look, a big bang he guy. He has an unhealthy obsession with Tom Hardy, so don't even yeah. bring it up. Yeah, yeah. That's, that's why we avoided why they, it. Yeah. That's why I avoided Bane altogether. The guy who plays oh. it makes it worse. So, uh, but let's get to the hard question, man. Depending on how you answer it is how Daniel's going to address you. This is the last one. Would you rather do 10 years in a coma or five years in prison? I'm going to go 10 years in the coma. Good answer. Good answer. That's the right answer. All these jokers come on here and lie to our face. They lie about being good at basketball, and then they lie saying they're so hard they could go to jail for five years. A South Sider didn't pick jail. <laughs> nah, I mean, give me I, the coma. It's you know it, it won't. It'll be a little bit quicker. I, I don't we, know. We, I don't know exactly how a coma works, but you know I, I feel like it'll just kind of like one day you're you go out, and next day you come back, and it's like ten years gone by, and you kind of just pick up what happened but five years in prison is five years in prison you're looking yeah. around like man y'all looking old yeah <laughs> dude i i want well we've had you know multiple guys from tennessee on the show and all of them said they would take prison and these are the same dudes i watch boohoo tears when you hit hit a bomb against them and i just looked i was like you know that ain't prison worthy at all <laughs> It's, but, you know, it's tough. I, I was in the same position last year, so yeah. you know, I, I can't knock it. And, no, it's tough when the season ends. Daniel, it's when, tough. when the Tennessee guys tell us they're not coming back on because they heard this episode and you take when this se- When this episode – when Jack's not on here, me and you talking, bro. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, the, the guys are going to listen. And you, you're going to – they're going to be no more Tennessee guys on the podcast. They're all going to – they're going to be coming after me and they're going to be coming after you guys. Not we, me. We we well, sold. Yeah, not Randy, but we, we sold that stock high. We we sold that stock high, Jack. I, I'm kidding. Every every guy, honestly, that we've had from the past three seasons from the University of Tennessee has been amazing. All of them are really good dudes in their own right. Very elite athletes like yourself. But, um, man, before you get out of here, anything you want to plug or promote? I got nothing, but I will add on the Tennessee thing. All, all the guys were, were super cool when, we, when I talked to them uh, during the games. You know, nothing against them, obviously. They were, you know, unfortunately on the losing end. And, and you know, that we were kind of in that same end last year against Mississippi, Mississippi State. So all those guys were great. But, you know, I guess I guess the only shout-out I, shout I can give is to Cameron James for, for hooking me up with Jim. So thanks for having me on, guys. Yeah, man. Dude, if you need anything, reach out to us. We'll be nothing. We would love to help you out. Any kind of way you let us know, we're here for you, dude. Absolutely. Thank you. All right. That's Jack Brannigan, everybody. We're going to take a break. We're going to plug sponsors. When we come back, Randy's going to scold me for a little bit, and then we're going to talk headlines. Are you looking to buy or sell a home? Q is your guy. Quintavious Burdett, who was once a guest of In Off the Bench and Ole Miss alumni, who is with REMAX, is the guy who will help you get your home. He is the guy who just helped me get my home. I just closed on my house a few weeks ago in the South Haven area, and Quintavious is the one who set the whole thing up. He is the man. He is one of the top, if not the top, realtor in the Mid-South area. You can get a hold of him at 662-292-7136 for all your real estate needs. All right, boys, so you know I've struggled with pain. You know I've struggled with weight loss. You know I've struggled with anxiety, and you know I've struggled with sleep. 
What if I told you there was a place that could help you with all of these things? True Life Dispensary, pain relief without narcotics, sleep, weight loss, anxiety relief. You can find this at 117 West Commerce Street in Hernando. Hours, Monday through Friday, 9 to 7, Saturday, 10 to 5. So check them out and get your life turned around. Welcome back to the In Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines for you leading off tonight. We got some college football conference realignment. You got USC, UCLA moving over to the Big Ten. That makes 32 teams in the Big Ten. Don't know why it's called the Big Ten. But, Randy, I know you're very passionate about this conference realignment thing. So I'll start with you, man. What are the thoughts on those two Pac-12 teams moving over to the Big Ten? Uh, like we always talk about on the show and in our group text, it's about the money. Uh, what the Big Ten did was they went to the biggest market in the land or top three biggest market in L.A. and pulled the two teams over there. Um, what you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier. What I don't like about it is the traditional rivalries. And I think what you can see is an example that I thought of uh, is like West Virginia. When they joined up with the Big 12, you lost some of that passion that you have as a fan base you know when you think about college football you know maybe usc notre dame um did those rivalries now go away and does the passion for college football go away because you don't have that so in the short term it's about money and we could talk about all the money that that it's going to basically the pac-12 was giving them around 30 to 40 million each year for each school and in the big 10 they're going to get close to a hundred million dollars per school so I think financially it's a move that had to be made if you're USC and UCLA. They're the first dominoes to fall because do not be – don't get this twisted. Oregon, Washington, those teams will follow. Notre Dame, they will follow, and they'll be either in the Big Ten or the SEC. And you're going to have what this is really like an AFC and an NFC, in my opinion. And it won't be long, guys. That We won't need the NCAA. What do you need them for? Yeah, I got a question for you before – you know, just sticking to those two teams. Um, you know, I saw a thing, Randy, where it was from the actual USC account. Um, was it two, three years ago where they were going to Notre Dame and there was X amount of snow on the ground and it said they hadn't played in a game in snow since like 1956. Mm-hmm. Well, they play in the Big Ten. It's going to become the norm as you play Penn State and whoever else, Michigan. And, and so, like, let me ask you, can a West – can two West Coast teams survive playing in that kind of, you know, environment? I mean, what we when you when we think about USC, when I think about USC, it's more of a West Coast, you know, they even called it the West Coast offense, the run and gun, like you talked about. So, no, I don't think it's a good fit as far as the brand of football. And I think there was a place for that football, right? USC, when Pete Carroll was there, they were rolling. Lane Kiffin. That's what I was thinking about. Can you imagine Reggie Bush trying to run in the (laughs) – Yeah. Like I said, though, and I'm going to highlight some of these numbers, though. This is 2020. We're talking about just why this makes sense financially because all the reasons you're saying are 100% correct. But in 2020, the SEC generated $778 million in total revenue giving each school $54.5 million. The Big Ten, $680 million, giving each school an average of 46.1. The ACC, which set a league record in 2020, only had 578. I say only, but that's 80. Look, this all ties me back to Notre Dame. This is why they're going to have to join a conference too. More than likely, it's going to be the Big Ten, but they do have an allegiance right now with the ACC and these other sports, right? But – 
if the Notre Dame in the one year they were a full member. So Vanderbilt gets $55 million from the SEC. Notre Dame in their one year as a full-time member of the ACC in every sport, $35 million. So it's, that's not a sustainable model. So I think you're really seeing – when you think about Notre Dame, it's independence. When you think about USC, it's West Coast. When you think about all these schools, UCLA, Oregon, all that, as far as what we're thinking about traditional, because that's what college football is. It's a traditional sport, rivalries, all that matters. All that's going to change, and it's all for the sake of a money grab. And well, I don't know that long-term that's good for the game. Well, let me ask, let me ask you, and, I, and I'll pose this to Daniel and get him in the conversation. You know, you mentioned, obviously, Randy talked about Washington and Oregon, and, and they've talked about those. Um, but what they did talk about on the radio today was how the ACC hasn't really said much. So, like, is there – you say AFC, NFC, but, Daniel, is there, like, potential for, like, a third power conference and ACC trying to load up like the Big Ten and the uh, SEC is? I mean, I don't think so. I think you're going to have uh, one tier that's broken into two different – like Randy was saying, a, a, a NFC and an AFC, and then you're going to have a secondary tier of teams that have teams like – Washington State, Arizona State, your ACC teams, the rest of your Big 12 teams. And and I hate to say it, like Memphis could be lumped into that category as well and probably should be at this point. But I, I don't know how they can sustain being in that upper echelon tier. And if they were, I think they would be in a worse position than where they're at right now. You know why they can't sustain it? Because their TV deal pays them like half of what the SEC and the Big Ten is, and their TV deal runs through 2036. So they signed a bad deal a ways back. They can't recover from that. If there's a chance for what you said to happen, Jim, it's the Big 12, and the Big 12 would have to get – obviously, you're losing Texas and Oklahoma, but if you could go and pick up – now, you got to beat the Big Ten and the SEC to these teams, but if you could pick up Oregon, that's a power player. Pick up Washington, that's a brand. You're going to have Arizona. Maybe that's a brand, not for football probably. And, but then, for from the, and then from the Big 12, you get Texas Tech, Oklahoma State. You'd you, have to. Yeah, you'll have to. Because now what their, their projections are that adding Texas and Oklahoma to the SEC, the revenues are going to go over $100 million per school. Adding UC, USC and UCLA with the TV deal, they're going to be over $100 million per school. Per school. So I hate to ask you the blatantly obvious question. So if you end up with – Let's say the SEC ends up with 20 teams in their conference. You're obviously not playing out of conference games anymore in the regular season, correct? You will, no, you will not. You couldn't. It'll be like a, a would there be like a north, south, east, west, four different, <laughs> and then you 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 kind of this is like like NFL does. It's you play the, the NFC Central this year. That's your you know whatever. I think that's why Randy said AFC NFC. I, I think that probably will be. I, I don't know. I, I understand it. Randy says for the money and, you know, all that. I just, I, you know, I told you all I heard Vernon say it. I just liked it the way it used to be, man. It's just, it's too much for me. What is, what does that do? Uh, I mean, obviously, if you're the Big 12, does trying to get every ACC team, like Florida State, Miami, West Virginia, or, you know, or not West Virginia, um, but every ACC team and, and move them over. And then you try to go after like a Utah, a Oregon. Um, does that make a situation any better? It, 
Yeah, because what now we know that geography doesn't matter. Your location doesn't matter. So coast to coast, you get who you can get. Uh, and I think that the one power player that we've mentioned a few times is Notre Dame. The, I don't think the Big 12 could ever talk. They're either going to be ACC or Big 10, probably Big 10, because that's a natural rivalry, right? But I think for the Big 12, you go after any name you can get, Florida State, Miami, uh, everybody, North Carolina, NC State, because those are those are known names. They're not power players per se, but at this rate, you got to take who you can get. And if I'm them, you got to really go into this thing thinking, I don't want to just take everybody because then I'm watered down and I got to share this revenue with everybody. I got to be smart about it. And I think that is why a team like Memphis, even though I wish they would get into the Big 12, it makes a lot of sense geographically and all that. But geography, like I said, it doesn't matter. So, yes, go get Florida State. Go get Miami. Hell, go get uh, Central Florida or South Florida. Those are big schools. If you're – if you know, you talk about how much the money matters. If you're like Clemson, for instance, do you even want to go to the SEC because, you know – you're such a dominant team playing away from the SEC, and every time you end up playing, you know, obviously they'd be Alabama one time, but for the most time they get smacked down. Do you want to be a part of the SEC? Yes, and for the I mean, reasons I said, the money. Because the ace, the a athletic director is not – he's not caring about, oh, well, we're now we got to – because they're already recruiting against But it's him, not right? going to be – so it's all about money and not winning titles anymore? Like, I mean, that, that – Yes. That's, Hell, I, that's the problem. It's tragic, Yeah. And all this was it's just exacerbated by they're, the NIL deal. They're gonna they're gonna realign to two, like you said, it's gonna be like AFC, NFC, and Alabama's still gonna win, and it's just gonna suck. <laughs> <laughs> yes, yes, they are. But I mean, Clemson, uh, if you're the AD for Clemson, aren't you thinking if I can get 110 million a year, I can compete with Alabama, I can compete with Georgia. That's that's where their mind is. Right. Well, especially right now, when you know from a recruiting standpoint, you can recruit at the same level. 100%. If you don't, if 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 you don't get into either of those two conferences, oh yeah, and you, and and you're not on your schedule, you're not playing any any of those teams. You can forget about those recruits. The ones that are good enough are going to go to the SEC or or a well, conference that's going to play that tier and that level of team. And, and what's interesting, um. What's his name? Um, Randy Nico is is that the quarterback? Lama Leva. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there's so many people that are mad at him. For what? Hey, if they're the gonna battle. throw if they're gonna throw it at you, what he's supposed to say no? No, no. I don't no. you know what? Keep your How eight can million. You? Let me prove myself. Yeah, no, nah. it's okay. I got so a question Mr. though. Mr. Rattler made a million last year and didn't play. So I mean exactly to transfer. I got a question for both of y'all. For what you know, when you talk about, you know different sport powers. Obviously you think about two schools in particular in basketball, they're dominant in Duke, North Carolina, uh, even Kentucky, they're dominant in basketball, not so much in other sports. To me, those type schools, even though Duke is a traditional powers, Indiana, even um, the blue bloods of basketball get left behind Kansas. They're only good in basketball. They get left behind because basketball, while it is a revenue generator, doesn't even come close to the football money, even when you're losing. So to me, are you going to see that, fade away are the dukes and the north carolinas and the kansas is going to fade because they can't recruit on that level either because if they're aligned with this shitty conference that's not part of the big two what happens to them db i don't know i mean we know where duke's money maker is and if they're not tied into if, if that brand isn't known for that 
what are they? Kind of like we used to have a great basketball conference, right? Um, we all remember it, Jim, the, the Big East, right? Mm-hmm. Georgetowns, the Villanovas, and all the mother – and they just went away all f- because of money. Yeah, and I, and I think the, the saddest thing is, you know, uh, is Memphis, the, the team, even though, you know, as you said, Randy, earlier with Jack, Tennessee guy, but Memphis is near and dear to your heart. Like, I mean, they're, they're finally, you know, solid on a year-to-year basis at football. Basketball, we're back in the mix, and it's like, now, man, you're just lost in limbo. Like, wh- where are you going to go? What are you going to do? And, and, you know, there's obviously – Plenty of schools like that. Um, you know, we always talk about the Boise States and, you know, that of the world. Like, I mean, where do you go? What do you do? And it sucks for those guys because you you don't know if they're going to get left out of this whole thing. Or, like you said, get lumped in at the very bottom and then just, I mean, basically be a punching bag for somebody. Or do they get into a conference like they did before after the teams that you wanted to be a part of are, are gone? <laughs> you know, they right. were in there with the Louisville, the Cincinnati's and all that. And then, you know, now Cincinnati's bouncing, Louisville bounced. You get all the – they always seem like they're a couple steps behind. Well, well, they talked about that on the radio. I know you probably listened to it. They said those teams are going to maybe end up have put themselves in a bad situation because they bounce to the wrong conference as, as the other ones are moving could. out. They could. But in the next two years, they're going to collect about $50 million each year. So, I don't know if it's the wrong move. Daniel, it's, if you could pick one place for Memphis to end up or one, one conference, what would it be? I mean, it's got to be the – I mean, that, that's where you want. I mean, but the reality is, I think from a competition standpoint, I think you need to be in the Big 12. You know, we all but, three know this. Tennessee, Ole Miss, Mississippi State, no, they will never, never allow Memphis to get in the SEC. <laughs> Ever. Because they're recruiting right here in this city that I'm sitting in. Right there. Right here in Bartlett, Tennessee. Lane, oh, Ki- Lane Kiffin said, no, nah, dog. Man, it's Man, it's gonna be it's it's gonna be wild, and I'm sure, as you said, Randy, this is only the tip of the iceberg. I'm sure there's gonna be other teams that follow suit, big name teams, middle tier teams. There's gonna be some conferences that are gonna have to do some wacky shit to to catch up. So it'll be an interesting. I mean, obviously, this year will, will be status quo for the most part, but I think you know, moving towards the end of next year if not you know before the season starts this year there'll be some some more movement for sure but guys i want to i want to move into major league baseball i want to do a little breakdown i'll give you guys the standings yanks twins astros mets brewers dodgers all winning their their respected divisions jim where where do you sit on that um, I want to start uh, first. I'm gonna I'm gonna beat Randy to the punch and talk about St. Louis, man. Like, like right when they got us excited, you know, they held the lead in the Central, and then they lose two out of three to Philly, and then they've dropped the first two to Atlanta, and now they find themselves three games back in Milwaukee. Like right when they got me believing that they weren't gonna just sit and just hover, you know, five to ten games over five hundred. Um, Man, here we are again, as usual. But outside of that, um, you know, the Yankees just continue to put space out there. So my question would actually revert back to you, Daniel. We talk about this every year with the Yankees. Sometimes they underachieve, sometimes they overachieve. But in the end, they, regardless of what they do during the regular season, they're not getting it done when it matters. But the way they're playing right now, they look like they are absolutely the team to beat. Are, is this the year they actually get it done? 
no um <laughs> it's simply put and that's just going based on they've been this team before and we've seen what that does i will say they're their run differential is the highest in major league baseball and they have the best record. So there's, there's a little correlation to that and they're playing damn good baseball. Are they good enough? Yes. Do I think they will? No. Um, but it, it's just going to come down to consistency. They're hot. They're staying hot. They're very consistent right now. They're going to have to maintain that over a long season, which I, I don't know if they can do. Well, the correlation there is that not only are they first in runs, but they're first in ERA, they're first in whip, they're second in batting average against. Now, their batting average offensively is pretty mid, but they hit a lot of home runs. I, I don't know, man. I think the Yankees are the real deal because it's been a long time since we've seen them have a pitching staff like we've seen them like they do this year. I mean, they're not just winning it offensively. They have a really good staff, really good bullpen. I mean, they're they're doing it. And they're not just their their run differential was like plus one sixty or one fifty nine. One fifty nine, yeah. I mean that is a. No, I was looking at it. The second closest to it is is well, no, the Dodgers got it Dodgers, close with one forty. But then, but then after that, your next one's Houston at ninety three. So significant drop after the Yankees and Dodgers. And that's with Houston winning nine of the last ten. The Yankees have. I mean, they've lost two or three in a row now. Wouldn't you I mean, say that's the team that could beat them if anybody would be? Well, yeah, because they got always, the garbage cans, you know. Yeah. <laughs> Daniel, staying in that Houston division, I was just looking at it. Oakland officially has the worst record in Major League Baseball. Man, how sad are we? I mean, it's 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 tough. It's tough to know that the the Angels are sitting above <laughs> the A's right now. But I mean, it, I think that's where they're at, dude. Like it it sucks to say, but I I, I think it's run its course and like nobody's coming to the games. And, and I think it's starting to show the product on the field is starting to show. Yeah, no doubt. Hey, back on the Cardinals note, cause I sent it to you guys, uh, Randy and I, and I know cause you're, you're fascinated with numbers. Um, and, the uh, as long as the, uh, the broadcaster didn't lie when he said it, they are the first team ever to have three players that own the one, two and three spot and wins against replacement. I mean, how awesome is that? Yeah, and they have the opposite problem of the uh, New York Yankees. They have really good offensive players, really good defensive players, and their pitching staff is letting them down. Even Wainwright the other night. I mean, he just you get through the lineup once, and then it's and they're old as shit. Daniel, that's what it is. You're relying on veteran guys to to get you through, and you know, meanwhile the the arms like clarity that you're supposed to be relying on or not are just unreliable so can we all admit right now that captain jack is it's, it's never gonna that's, happen that's yeah. that was it's been bad like it, it ain't so daniel what, what we is, thought it was gonna be is the you know the cardinals are traditionally not somebody who goes and does something but then they you know they did goldsmith they did arenado we've done lester you know over the last x amount of years do they make a move um before the trade line to get some pitching because they have they, a team that can compete to, to it, win if if you're bought into this Pujols, Molina, Wainwright, last ride, and like let's send this thing out, let's go all in. Yeah, you got to go out and get an arm, if not m- multiple arms. And I don't think it's, I don't think it can be a. I think it's got to be a starting arm. I don't think it can be a relief guy. I think it's got to be a guy that can eat up a lot of innings and 
give yourself a chance to win 10 or 12 ball games on the back half of the season. I don't think it's just a last ride thing with the money that you invested in the, the two guys that I just mentioned in Goldsmith and Arenado. I mean, I feel like if you're going to invest that kind of money in those guys, you, you want to be competing for a championship, not, you know, just a decent product on the field. Yeah. It's, it's going to come down to what, what do they want to do? Do they want to take developmentally what they have in AAA, which is they're been pretty good at and, and, let it get to a point where they're able to be very competitive with those guys, or are they looking to do something right now? Right. You know, I was looking at what Randy was talking about as I was just thinking about pitching. Yeah. That 246 runs allowed by the Yankees is absurd. Uh, Cause I was looking at the Cardinals in comparison and the whole hundred runs more given up. All right. A lot of baseball left. Not even at the the All Star break yet, so we've got plenty of time to talk on that. But I, I want to go to your sport, Randy, the fight game, UFC. You got, you know, Cowboy retires. You got Adesanya retaining. You got a lot of different things happening. Was in regards to UFC, you know, fights. Was this a big carded fight? It was a big card by name, but I think that what, and this is just my personal opinion, you've seen, it used to be a spectacle, right? You had a UFC event maybe once every couple months and, you know, everybody pulled together and bought it. Maybe that's because we were young and broke. I'm not sure, <laughs> but the prices have gone up. I don't want to say that everything's about money, but what you ended up seeing was you have a fighter like Israel Adesanya that just kept the distance and leg kicked and won by points. That it's barbaric to say, but that's not how that's not how the sport got popular. It got popular, but guys like Ken Shamrock and Hoist Gracie and all those guys that were leaving their body, they were putting their body on the line. And Adesanya had a quote after the fight that said, you know, I'm not going to subject myself stupidly to CTE for a bunch of drunk fans. And I can respect that. And, I, and I'm, you know, I, I'm, I can understand why he's saying that, but if you're not going to have an exciting fight, this sport will die. Nobody's going to come watch you. This isn't boxing. And boxing, by the way, bro, boxing is not a, make, a marquee sport anymore. So if Dana White wants the UFC to stay getting more fights, getting more ESPN, doing all this press coverage and all that, you got to get some exciting fights out there. Well, I mean, to me, you can't have that mentality anymore if you're at Asanya because – you have lost one time the the novelty of is he going to lose and he's playing a defensive fight like just trying to win like it's yeah. like mayweather mayweather exactly. got away with that because he had no losses exactly and, and part people, of the people draw, still gave him shit about it right but part of and the it was draw boring was to watch wanted, randy's point but part of the draw was they wanted to watch him lose and to his credit he never did 50 Look. 50 plus times the guy got in the ring and, and didn't lose a single time. It don't matter what kind of fighter you are or how you, that, that takes talent. Like you can't, Randy, you can't did, deny that. Does it come Agreed. to do, does it come to do also with money in their pockets? And I, and I bring it up uh, specifically because of the guys we know, when you talk about a Jaleel or a Rambo or a T Cummins or any of them, any one of them guys ain't worried about getting CTE. They want to go in there because they want to, 
they want to win. They want to be to be the best they can be, and they want to try to get paid. So, like you know, to to it's the reason why he acts that way is because he has been in that upper echelon because he does have that money. Because you know, the lower tier guys with more than you know, Eric Anders, even you know, they'll go in there and be willing to get their brains beat in. I think yes, I agree with you, but you do see some of the undercard doing the same thing because, like everything else in sports, like now we're going to break it down analytically. Well, if you just counterpunch, then you this. But to your point. Uh, friend of the show, we haven't had him on yet, Bryce Mitchell. He was tweeting out during this UFC fight. He's a UFC fighter, signed a long-term deal. Uh, he said, if you put me on that card, I promise the fans you'll get your money's worth. That is why he is the most popular fighter in the UFC right now, and he ain't lied. When he gets in there, look, it's it's all hands on deck. We're going at it. There's no counterpunching, and if you try to counterpunch him, he's taking you to the ground and beating the shit out of you. That is the type of fighter. We're going to need a transcendent fighter to get people watching again nobody wants to watch a boxing match in the ufc cage i mean they're gonna do to us what they've done in football and take away the ability to be able to hit somebody anymore because everything's illegal you're gonna do that and and fighting too can't can't bust somebody in the head because they might end up with a concussion and cte like well no and think about it the guy just the names that started the ufc chuck liddell rampage all these guys even tito ortiz and all these guys, uh, Cormier even, you got guys, Anderson Silva, they weren't in there to to not lose. They were trying to knock you out. What was that the cat? What, gets uh, it. what was the cat? We went and watched him fight multiple times. The dude who used to lick blood off his gloves. Oh, bald, little bald-headed guy. Um, oh, man. I know who you're talking about. But another one of our favorite, Frank Mir. He wasn't trying Frank, to, Frank Mir was a to just counterpunch. That's but I was bringing up the other guy because I mean he loved the knockout when he knocked out of like I said licking the glove the blood off his glove he's psycho give me that guy and so is, look is Conor the, McGregor yeah is the is the answer to this providing some type of bonus for winning a fight as quickly as possible <laughs> okay they they do that but they have to make it financially worth your while right so now knockout of the night ten thousand dollar bonus nah bro 100 g's yeah make it but but i guess also too like what you don't want is to have to between all these undercards and main bouts you don't want all this filler like you 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 got to have some of these fights go the distance right Mm. yeah you do i mean yeah and it's all timed out like this okay yeah no i anderson silva you 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 did have 38 minutes and now you got to fight right now yeah you don't want all that you're right the the last the last few pay-per-views i've watched the the undercards that had the women maybe that's why i appreciate the women they go 100 percent all all the way they getting after it it's crazy what um what's the next next fight that we need to look for randy Bryce Mitchell fighting anybody at the top of it, man. That's who we're looking for. That's the next name you're going to see. There's there's a lot of – there's a in-between right now. One thing I did want to bring up, uh, Khabib and Daniel Cormier went into the uh, MMA Hall of Fame or whatever. Very well-deserved for both guys. Uh, Khabib, he retired undefeated, as you know. Cormier, I mean, I saw him cry more than I saw him win. Not sure if he deserved that or not. But uh, I think what the next thing you need to look for – is, is is our boy John Bones Jones coming back? Because even though he does cocaine, DB, <laughs> if he comes back in that ring, you know what's going to happen. He can fight old Francis Ngannou. 
people are watching that fight, DB, and they're not going to be counterpunching. They're going to be getting after each other. Well, on a lower level, if anybody wants to watch, Rambo and Trey both fight in the month of July. They do. They have fights coming up, and Trey had posted it. He said that boy better protect his legs. <laughs> Get it. <laughs> Get it. All right, guys, let's move on to our last thing. I don't want to harp too much on this because it's very – very very early to be talking about this but i mean obviously we had jack brannigan on tonight we're still talking college baseball we got dylan delusia coming on next episode so college baseball is still on our minds but jim too early top 25 college baseball rankings how do they sit with you i can tell you this dbu's not in it so they don't sit very well with me and I'm not well, putting a lot of stock into it right now. Well, I'll start with the team that's not mine. I'll start with Randy's. Um, and I can make a case that, you know, they may have got uh, underseated at two to be number one. It is amazing um, how much and how little knowledge people have and pay attention. We have beat a dead horse talking about the return of Dolander and Burns and Bean and then the position players that will step in. And all I see is everybody talking about they're overranking Tennessee because they're losing Beck and Gilbert and Russell. And it's like, man, they had the best pitching staff last year and minus blade who was gone most of the year, they're all returning and they have position players who could have started for the majority of teams like know your baseball. And then you've got guys transferring in like Zane Denton, a guest of the show, who was a preseason first-team All-American. Yes, he didn't end up playing like a first-team All-American, but they clearly ranked him like that because he has the potential. And so to know that you lose Lipscomb and you get a guy like that come in. And then LSU, on the other hand, I mean, I love that meme that I ended up, uh, I shared out that I had seen on Twitter. You know, Jay Johnson, for all the crap I gave him, I mean, he's just out there getting transfer after transfer after transfer. And so people are upset that LSU and Tennessee are up there, but – it's because of what Tennessee's bringing back and bring and bringing in, and it's because of what LSU's bringing back and bringing in, and they deserve it. And another team to worth mentioning because they made two big pickups today, and they are ranked six. Ole Miss, think about this. Dilution, uh, the next guest, and Hunter Elliott will be coming back, and then they picked up a massive arm today, and they've already made a couple other pickups. So they, I think, are ranked accordingly. So I have no issues with the rankings, especially when I look at specifically top eight, because Southern Miss and Stanford have been killing it as well. I mean, it, it looks like these, these ranking sites are, you know, putting the flavor of the week based on the names that are coming in over who's where they're at, what they've done in the season that they have. I mean, when it comes to that, because, you know, in, in my opinion, you add you add the names that LSU does, but there's a lot to be said for having a coach, a stable coach, a stable staff with a lot of guys coming back and your best arms coming back. To me, that's way more beneficial and more of a tell as, as future success than a few guys coming into a new environment trying well to... On the LSU thing, like, and Randy understands this as well as anyone. He, he saw it all year. He talked about it all year. So Carter Young's coming from Vanderbilt, right? And everybody's dismissing it because he doesn't have some huge bat. What was, Randy, what was uh, LSU's biggest problem last year? Defense. 
and specifically the shortstop. Jordan Thompson, yeah. I apologize if you somehow listen to this podcast. This man had air after air after air. Carter Young's not coming in there for his bat. He's coming in there to sure up that infield. Yeah, I mean, I I, I can see all, all the pieces and all the moves that are being made. I mean, LSU did what they needed to do as far as when it comes to getting transfers. Um, but I don't think you should be penalized, so to speak, for developing – getting guys, keeping them and developing them. Like, I think that there's a lot to be said with that. Do you, do you have a problem, Daniel, with like, let's use Tommy White, for instance, he did his freshman year at NC State. Do you, like, when it comes to the transfer portal, all right, we talk about a guy like RJ Yeager we had on the show. He did his four years at Mercer. He was, you know, a lot of the fifth year because of COVID, and he, was, and he was able to come to Mississippi State and try to get on a winning program. It's a little bit different than a guy like Tommy White who committed to NC State and only did one year and then moved out. Do you have issues with – with guys like that making that decision? No. No, it's – it's um, you earn the right to do that. And I think it's it's like, all right, so if you buy a house and your house increases in value, whether it's the first year that you have it or three years later, like you should still be able to sell your house at, it, at its peak. These guys are doing the same thing except they're selling themselves – at a high level so that they can move on and try to, you know, add more equity to themselves when they sell themselves to the, to the next level. Devil's advocate here though. When you do that, you got to pay a capital gains tax. What's the tax? I mean, I don't know what, what would be fair? Like, I, I, I don't know. I mean, it's, it's sitting out a season. Is that fair? That's too, that's too much. All right. So then what are we, what are we talking about? Like, uh, if you got an NIL deal from that school, you repay that. So, all right. So if that's the case, what would preclude LSU from saying, all right, well, here's extra NIL money to take care of that. Go yeah. ahead and take care of that. And we'll do this. But the thing is, is that NIL money is going to fucking Rocco's tacos. Or no, I, I, I get it. Jimmy jams. Beef jerkies. I mean, I, I, I don't know, but... But you know what it is. Not... Everybody brings up the coaches thing. Well, they can leave, but they have to pay buyouts. True. So these players are on a scholarship, which is like a contract, but there's absolutely no penalty. It's the wild, wild west out there. And a guy was explaining it to me yesterday that's a coach at a community college, but he was explaining the transfer portal. He played at Missouri. And when they put their name in the transfer portal, there's no information, no position, no anything. It's just they're not, not their height, not their weight, vitals, nothing. It's just their their name and their school, right? So people are scouring this, and you better be a known name. And he was telling me yesterday, this was fascinating to me, that up 10, 10 to 20% of those players that put their name in the transfer portal will never play again because they're not a known name like Tommy White. Yeah. And that, if, that to me is something we gotta we just gotta we gotta come up with some ways of making it better. Yeah, I mean, I, I do not disagree with that. I don't there's nothing in me that's like you should keep people from going where they think that they're going to be best or where they, where they want to go. But, but I, I think you're right though. There, there needs to be some, you need to hold them accountable to the commitments that they made, especially if now there's a financial backing for going to that, that school. Like I'm okay with paying it back, but I think that just means that, the next NIL deal is going to repay that money. Um, 
I think you, this is this is only going to make the as we continue to talk about it in the realignment with football. I think in baseball, uh, SEC, you know, with with the the teams the recruiting the coaches, the money, the NIL deals, they're only going to continue to get stronger and dominate. I agree, especially with yep. Texas and Oklahoma coming in. Guys, any any last calls? Any 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 closing remarks, Jim? No, man. Uh, you know, I did I did an article I wrote today. Well, I wrote it last week, sent it to y'all, shared it today, and man, it's it's just wild because I know the show is over two years old, but this coming week will have been two years since our first guest, which was Jonathan Bowen, set up by Randy. So Really, while we did do the podcast, you know, about two years and some change, we really broke into what we do now and here in about a week, two years from now. So, um, you know, shout out to Jonathan Boland, shout out to Randy for bringing them and the start of what we do now and um, getting these athlete stories like we did Jack tonight. Man, it's been two years. That's crazy. Long time. Shout out COVID for getting us off the off the seat. Yep, getting us in this this yeah, thing yeah and you like me owning in that uh article daniel you I, over six years ago man the equipment I, was there mm, 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 i mean mm, you even I'm came sorry. to florida we did a test run and you were just like ah, i'm good i just didn't no i didn't say it like that but no, i just I didn't pull the trigger and that's my bus we could man guys we we could be ahead of joe rogan screw him <laughs> randy anything before we get out of here nah man i'm i'm good i'm just uh I'm just happy to be here. Happy to be a part of something. Uh, Thanks for Jack Brannigan. And oh, by the way, fuck you, Daniel Ball. Okay. <laughs> I'll, I'll take that. If you're if you're still listening at this point in the episode, I probably deserve that. So I I still love you guys. So it, it's, a fa- how, it's a it's a family show. It's a family show until the last two minutes. Yeah. yeah. Screw and, you, Daniel. Jim, I I don't typically make requests, but can we edit that out? <laughs> gotcha no nah. man hey i want to thank jack brain again man what a what a great dude what a good good guest a good story if you like hearing jack's story or you just like hearing us average joes talk x's and o's please like and share the podcast on facebook retweet us on twitter listen and subscribe on apple Podcasts, spotify and anchor as always comments ratings and feedback is always welcome please come back next week We got episode 28 coming at you. We're bringing on the newly crowned national champ from Ole Miss, Dylan DeLucia. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, grit and grind all the time. We out.